It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time. Time for silver and black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas. We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field. And bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get get it it on. Here's your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. What's going on, Raider Nation? You're tuning in to Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. Today, you're tuning in with a solo host, Mo Moten, without Scott Gobranson, who's been suspended for his Derek Carr remarks. No, I'm just kidding. Scott's feeling under the weather. He's dealing with an illness, so wish him well. So today, that means you're stuck with me. Again, that's Mo Moten, your solo host for today on Silver and Black today. Uh, just want to get something off my chest off the top here. The Rams loss still stings a bit. Even as a writer, a person who's covered the Raiders for eight, nine years, I, I always say I, I don't have the fan cap on anymore. But watching that loss, watching Baker Mayfield drive down the field for two scoring drives within less than three and a half minutes really stings as, as a person who covers the Raiders and it's taken a while for me to kind of just grasp what happened and just kind of digest the loss and everything that had to happen, all the dominoes that had to fall for the Raiders to lose that game. But as a person who's followed this team for years, decades, uh, when it goes bad, it really goes bad. Like, like It's just like leaving a glass of, of milk on the table overnight. It, it just it spoils very quickly for the Raiders when they... When they start to get down on themselves or when things go against them, it's just an avalanche of bad. Um, the penalties, Crosby, Farrell, Meek Robinson, Tillery with the boneheaded penalty. Uh, the defense uh, on the last play, letting up that touchdown. The one thing you have to do when a team is driving and they have to score, obviously, don't let the wide receiver get behind you. And that's that's basically what the Raiders did. Um, a lot of people want to point out that Deron Harmon may have had his eyes in the backfield, whatever the case may be. It's on Patrick Graham to let his guys know, do not let the play, do not let the pass catchers get behind you. And that's exactly what happened. But uh, now that I've gotten that off my chest, I want to turn the page because it is hump day, it is Wednesday, and we're looking ahead, not backward. The Raiders have a game against the Patriots there will be a lot of talk about Josh McDaniels and his relationship with Bill Belichick and how much he's learned from Bill Belichick. I don't want to talk about that. That's that's boring. Everyone's going to ask him questions about that. You'll hear about that all throughout the week. Let's get to the nitty gritty. Uh, I was concerned. I had a major concern about the Raiders offensive line in that last game against the Rams. Jermaine Illuminar went down. Alex Bars went down early in the first quarter. Uh, but, you know, it, it seems like they're trying to bolster the unit. They did waive John Simpson, who lost his job to Alex Barris after week two, I believe. Barris was, has been the starter since week three. Uh, the Raiders did bring in Hieronis Grasu, who has some experience at center and left guard. 
Hasn't played guard since 2018 with the Ravens, though, so a little shaky there. They did bring in Natane Muti uh, from the Broncos practice squad. He has experience at guard. He's only played, he's only started four games. So there could be some shuffling going on, and they may need it against this Patriots pass rush. If you've watched the Monday, if you watched the Monday night game against the Cardinals, Patriots and Cardinals, uh, Josh Uche and Matt Judon, those guys, dominant pass rushing duo. And Judon likes to do those loops and stunts, so it's going to put a lot of pressure on the interior of the Raiders' offensive line. So whoever starts flanking, uh, who is it, Andre James and uh, the rookie Dylan Parham, whoever is in that right guard spot next to maybe it's Luminar, maybe it's Thayer Mumford Jr., whoever is in that guard spot better be ready for the pass rush because the Patriots do a lot of things with their edge guys, so... The Raiders have their work cut out for them. This is not going to be, I, I don't want to say if it's going to be a blowout or not, but I, I think it's I think it's going to be another close game. I know you guys probably, guys, guys and gals out there probably hear me say that a lot. It's going to be a close game, but you know that's, that's the hallmark for the Raiders this season. They played a lot of close games. And this is going to be another one. Two coaches, two head coaches who know each other pretty well. The Raiders can still score points in, in stretches. The Patriots sometimes have issues scoring points, but their defense is stout. So what you're probably going to get is a is a game in the low 20s. Maybe one team scores 17 points, the other team scores 20. Depends on, on how the Raiders come out because, as we know, as I just mentioned, the Raiders can come out hot with Devontae Adams and all of a sudden they stall, especially in the red zone. We'll get to more of that later. But the Raiders are going to have to start sustaining drives and put together complete games and look ahead to 2023 because their chances of making the playoffs are very slim, but they can build something for the future. And that's what I'll be looking at uh, going forward. Uh, maybe we see more Malcolm Kuntz, you know, uh, a guy who can provide, you know, as a designated pass rusher, maybe can provide some pressure behind Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. I want to see more Neil Farrell Jr. and Matthew Butler because you can unlock Chandler Jones with some pressure up the middle. I still want to see more Zamir White, depending on what happens with Josh Jacobs, we don't know. But at this point in the season with the Raiders' slim, slim playoff hopes, by the way, they will be eliminated from playoff contention if they lose and the Dolphins win or tie or the Jets win or tie. Now, I will say this. The Dolphins will play the Bills in Buffalo. Don't like Miami outside of Miami where it's not going to be warm. With Buffalo, you're going to be freezing your butt off. Don't like the Dolphins. I think the Buffalo Bills win that game. But the Jets have a good chance to beat the Lions because the Lions don't play well outside of Detroit. They're going to be outside, and Jared Goff's numbers are considerably different when he's on the road. So the Raiders basically just have to focus on winning football games, but it's going to be tough. As I just mentioned, that offensive line may need to shuffle a little bit against that Patriots pass rush. It's going to be tough, but I do have some good news. Before I step aside for a break, there is some good news. According to Vincent Batio of the Las Vegas Review Journal, there's a good chance that Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller will rejoin the team to practice. Quote, unquote, they're trending toward returning to practice. So we'll see what that means going forward. If they'll suit up, if one of them suits up, if both of them suit up. But it looks like they're on the way back. And I think it's important that they play. And I'll explain why. Neither player has looked good, even while healthy. Darren Waller, 16 catches for 175 yards and a touchdown. 10.9 yards per catch. That's the lowest he's had with the Raiders. Hunter Renfro, 21 catches, 192 yards, 9.1 yards per yards per catch that's a career low no touchdowns 
So these guys have to get in sync with the system. And I think it's important that they build chemistry with Derek Carr so that, again, looking forward, that offense will run like a well-oiled machine. And they don't have these dry spells where they can't move the ball, can't get a third down uh, conversion. So I think it's important for those guys to get back, even with the playoffs seemingly out of reach. And with that said, I'm going to step aside. Just keep in mind, you're tuned in with Mo Moten. No Scott Gobranson today. I'm the substitute teacher. No, I'm kidding. I'm the co-host, but I'm now in the driver's seat. And I'm going to direct you toward some more Raiders coverage. We're going to get into a little mailbag later, but I'm going to step aside and take a quick break. What up, y'all? It's your boy Danny Green, three-time NBA champ. You either rooted for me or rooted against me. Join myself and my co-host Harrison Sanford on the Inside the Green Room podcast. It's a podcast that brings you never-before-told tales from the locker room to candid interviews with basketball legends to breakdowns of what's happening in the NBA right now. Whether you're a diehard fan or casual about your hoops, this podcast brings you the game like never before. Follow Inside the Green Room on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're back with Mo Moten on Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. And I want to get into a mailbag question that got pushed back a couple of weeks. My apologies to Raiders history, Oakland L, Oak L Raiders 1976 on Twitter. Uh, my apologies to you because we should have gotten to this mailbag question, you know, late November after Thanksgiving. You sent this in, I believe, and tagged. Me and wanted this question asked to all of Raider Nation, so I'm going to read it word for word as you presented it. And you said, prior to this year, I said that either Carlson, Daniel Carlson, or Crosby, Max Crosby, were the best players Gruden ever brought in during Gruden 2.0. After the season, I give the edge to Josh Jacobs for that top spot. Who is the best Gruden 2.0 player? And I had an easy answer for this, though I was splitting hairs a little bit at first. I came to the conclusion that it's definitely Max Crosby. And I'll say I have multiple reasons why. Raider Nation may disagree with me. You can chime in on Twitter, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N, and give me your answers and your reasons why you picked a specific player. But I'll say Max Crosby because he's less dependent on the players around him for his production. Josh Jacobs still needs a pretty solid O-line to put up decent numbers. And then we saw that last year he struggled I believe he had a career low 172 rushing yards behind a pretty bad offensive line. Uh, I know this year the offensive line is not great, but he's putting up better numbers and he he's giving credit to the offensive line that it's playing a lot better and that's what's opening holes for him on the ground. But as I said, even though Josh Jacobs may win the rushing title this year, I believe he leads the league with over 1,300 yards. Max Crosby, I I, I think. Watching him get double teamed, chip grabbed, and held throughout games and to still produce big numbers, uh, has double digit sacks this year already, it says a lot. And, and you also have to look at the fact that Max Crosby last year was a second team All Pro. He was a Pro Bowler and a second team All Pro. Now, a lot of people say Pro Bowls are just a popularity contest. Josh Jacobs wasn't even a Pro Bowler, but Max Crosby, uh, 
getting recognition as a Pro Bowl and All-Pro second team says a lot. The other thing is we expected Josh Jacobs to be pretty good. As a first-round pick, you expect your first-round pick to be a, a pretty, de- uh, not a decent, but a, a basically a guy you can keep around for at least five, six years and be a, and be a contributor. Max Crosby was a fourth-round pick. So who saw that coming? I remember when Max Crosby was first drafted out of Eastern Michigan. And I remember Mike Mayock saying that, you know, he's twitchy. He's a twitchy athletic defensive end, but he needs to bulk up in order to earn a solid role. Well, look at him now. He goes from a fourth-round pick, a day-three guy, to now I think he's a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate. I mean, if you look at it, I know Matt Judon and and Nick Bosa lead the league in sacks right now with 14 and a half, but Max Crosby ain't too shabby. And by the way, I believe he leads the league, leads the league in tackles for loss. I believe he has like 19 or so. So with that, with those numbers and the consistency he's had over these years, uh, I, I think says a lot about how far he's come and what he means to it to that Raiders defense. Now that the Raiders defense isn't good overall, but where would it be without Max Crosby? I mean, a lot of people say, well, where would the offense be without Josh Jacobs in senior years? And I understand that. But it's easier to replace a top running back than it is a top edge rusher, in my opinion. Uh, you don't you don't draft defensive player of the years on a yearly on a yearly basis. They don't just grow on trees, so to speak. Uh, you can pick up a running back in the third or fourth round and he can lead your team in rushing and possibly win a rushing title. You can get a guy in the second round or the third round or he can carry your rushing attack, but how often do you get a fourth-round draft pick turn into a defensive player of the year candidate? Just for comparison, Crosby has 36 and a half sacks in his first four seasons, two double-digit sack seasons. Khalil Mack, I know that name still stings for some Raiders fans, but bear with me for a moment. Khalil Mack had 40 and a half sacks through his first four seasons. I know sacks aren't everything. But if Crosby gets four more sacks in these last four games, he would have matched Khalil Mack in sack total. That tells you how good Max Crosby has been with getting double teamed, getting chipped, getting grabbed, getting held at the line of scrimmage. That guy's a star, and you don't just get stars in the fourth round very often. So from the Gruden, from the Gruden 2.0 regime, I would have to say. Raiders history, it's got to be Max Crosby. Now, just imagine if Gruden didn't trade Khalil Mack in his first year and it was Khalil Mack on one side and Max Crosby on the other side. Prime Khalil Mack and prime Max Crosby on your D-line. That would have been amazing. I know that's a painful fantasy to, to think about right now because of the trade and how Mack has been bounced around, but... I'll just leave you with that thought. Can you imagine if the Raiders had that under defensive line, what their defensive rankings would have been had they had two stars, two star edge rushers? I think it would have been a lot different, but it is what it is. Didn't happen that way. Those two didn't play on the same team. And as we look forward, I'm going to talk about maybe questions about the defense and how they can improve it. Speaking of getting star players and getting production out of, out of starters, I'm going to step aside again and head into the last segment. Once again, you're tuning in with Mo Moten on Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. All right, Raider Nation, we're headed down the home stretch. I know it's a short home stretch because this is an abbreviated show, but I wanted to keep it short and compact, something that you can listen to on your way to work, 
tucking your kids in the bed, before you hit the dinner table, while you're cooking dinner, whatever you're doing, you can hear this and just have a, your quick fix of Raiders coverage and news and just items to talk about during the day. And I want to end this off. This could be self-serving, but I don't care. Uh, I dipped into the car wars. And as many of you know, I'm very careful about what car discussions I participate in. Some of them are just ridiculous on either side. There are people out there who just want to get rid of car at any cost. I don't agree with that. There are people out there who would keep car at any cost. I don't agree with that either. You always have to look at every offseason, every situation differently. Who's available? What are our circumstances? Where are we drafting? Uh, what can we do? Is you know, is Carr going to retire a Raider as he said he would? Would he waive his no-trade clause to go to a better situation? That's a conversation for a different day. What I want to talk about is what problems, what are the two biggest problems that the Raiders need to fix moving forward if they want to get back to prominence? And I have... Clear answers for that. Number one, and this is in no priority order. This is just one and two. The defense has to be better. The Raiders haven't had a defense that ranked higher than 18th in points allowed since 2003. Do you know where I was in 2003? I was in John Dewey High School in Coney Island. And I did not know I would become a Raiders writer or a sports writer, period. I, I actually wanted to be a computer science major going to college and, and deal with electronics and that's a whole different tangent but that just tells you how long ago it's been uh nearly 20 years since the Raiders have been able to keep teams out of the out of the end zone at a at a at a very high rate but they, that's something they have to fix and it goes back to poor drafting poor free agent signings I mean think about it today oh not today but on Tuesday the Cardinals just waived Trayvon Mullen, who was the Raiders' second-round pick not too long ago in the Gruden Mayak regime in 2019, I believe. So the Raiders have to be better at bringing in talent on that side of the ball. It's just been disappointment after disappointment. You can go back to Gary and Conley, as I just mentioned, Trayvon Mullen, uh, Jonathan Abram, who was let go this year. Just so many names, not to pick on anybody. But when you look at the Raiders' defense this year, 26 in red zone touchdowns allowed, 26 in third down conversions allowed. If you're letting teams just pull up and eat at the buffet inside the 20-yard line and you can't get off the field on third down, you're not going to win many games regardless of who is the quarterback. And that's my shot back to people who want to get rid of car of any cost. Sure, you can get rid of car and upgrade. It's possible. But you're still going to have a defensive issue. And whoever is Carr's successor, whoever were to place Carr and seed him, we have the same problems. Your defense is still going to be bottom of the league if you don't fix that problem. If you're not drafting consistent starters, if you're not signing players who can help you right away, if your defensive coordinator isn't up to par, guess what? That quarterback is going to have to score 26, 27, 28 points a game, and that's a lot of pressure on any quarterback, on any offense, let alone Derek Carr in this unit. Now, meanwhile, as the Raiders' defense has struggled, in 2020 and this year, they've ranked top 11 in scoring offense. So you cannot tell me that if they had a better defense, they would win more games. Now, I'm sure there are numbers out there that suggest Carr has lost a fair number of games, even when the Raiders give up a low number of points. But this is common sense. You improve the defense, you improve your chances to win football games. And as a team, the Raiders have to do better in that area and bringing in defensive talent and bringing in guys 
we're going to be consistent, not just have a good year, not just have a good week, a good month, but a good career with a long career at the Raiders. You need to draft a cornerback that you can have faith in for a decade. A linebacker that's going to be the quarterback of your defense to get guys set and get guys ready who can play on all three downs. Not a two-down thumper. This is not 1980. This is 2022. You're going to need a linebacker in the middle of your defense who can cover, support the run, and even blitz. Because you're seeing, you're seeing linebackers with speed get after the quarterback to supplement the pass rush if need be. So the Raiders just need to be a lot better on defense. They just haven't been able to do that over the past two two decades. And as I said, regardless of who's taking snaps under center, it has to be better. Now, I'm going to go to the car side of things. Now, car car supporters are going to cringe and curse me for this, but Carr had his worst passer rating of his career last Thursday in that Rams game. I believe it was 36.9. He threw an interception in the red zone, and some will argue isn't his fault because the guard got pushed back into his lap, allowed some pressure. Okay, fine, I'll give you that. But he still has to be better in the red zone. Since 2014, which is when Carr was drafted, he has thrown 14 red zone interceptions. That's tied for the most with Ryan Tannehill, Phillip Rivers, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Two of those guys retired, by the way. Uh, so... It's not just this year. It's not just one play. Carr has struggled in the red zone for his entire nine-year career. Now, let's just give, I'm going to give you some red zone numbers for this year. Carr has a 39.6% completion rate in the red zone, a 71.3 passer rating. And I just want to give you some comparable names. Not even comparable names, comparable numbers. Justin Fields, 57.9% completion rate, 100.9 passer rating. Justin Fields has a shaky offensive line. He's had one receiver for most of the year in Darnell Mooney and not much else. Cole Komet, eh, mediocre. Daniel Jones, and I watch a lot of Giants games because I'm in New York City. Daniel Jones, his best receiver is Darius Slayton. God bless Darius Slayton. He's on my fantasy team, but he's a number two or number three wide receiver on most teams in the league. But Daniel Jones, 61.3% completion rate, 99.3 passer rating in the red zone. Matt Ryan, a lot of people would say, Oh, Matt Ryan is washed, right? He's washed. When he gets in the red zone, 50% completion rate, 98.7 passer rating. Derek Carr, again, I'm going to reiterate Derek Carr's numbers. 39%, close to 40% completion rate, 71.3 passer rating in the red zone. That's comparable to Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett has a 40.6 completion rate, 79.7 passer rating. He's a rookie who's played 10 games, by the way. Derek Carr has been in the league for nine years. Davis Mills, a 44.4% completion rate, 81.3 passer rating. Davis Mills doesn't have a steady starting job. He was benched a couple of weeks ago, and the Texans brought in, they have had Jeff Driscoll, they've had uh, Kyle Allen in there. So Carr has, no, has red zone numbers comparable to a rookie who hasn't played a full season and a guy who's been benched. Now, if you're a Derek Carr supporter and and even as if you're a start supporter, you have to admit Carr has to be better in the red zone. And it's not just about Thursday. Even if you're going to give him the pass Thursday and say not all his fault because the offensive line allowed pressure. Look at his career numbers and look at his numbers overall for the season compared to other guys who are not nearly on the same level quarterback he is. I'm not saying any of these guys are a better quarterback than Derek Carr. I'm saying if Derek Carr is better than these quarterbacks, which he is, why is why are his red zone numbers so low 
with Devontae Adams as his top wide receiver. The guys that I mentioned, Devontae Adams is a better wide receiver than any of those teams, any of those guys' teams I've mentioned. Those guys don't have a wide receiver comparable to Devontae Adams. And I'll just take Daniel Jones. As I said, Darius Slayton is his best wide receiver. I know Saquon Barkley catches passes out of the backfield, but so does Josh Jacobs. Derek Carr has enough offensive playmakers to get it done inside the opponent's 20-yard line for whatever reason. He's been able, unable to do that this year and throughout his career. So, I have a proposal. If the Raiders want to fix their red zone issues, they can fix it in one of two ways. They can rely heavily on the run game, or they're just going to need to get a QB who can consistently finish drives. And I will say this. The top five red zone scoring teams are the Lions, Eagles, Cowboys, Bengals, and Chiefs. What do they have in common? They either have a top 11 rushing offense or a top-tier quarterback who, for the most part, makes great decisions in the red zone. Joe Burrow has 17 touchdown passes and zero interceptions in the red zone this season. Patrick Mahomes has 27 touchdowns, two interceptions in the red zone this season. Both of them completing at least 56-57% of their passes inside the red zone. I rest my case. Now, I want to go back to the defense really quick, right? Just so Carr fans know, I'm not picking on Derek Carr. As far as the defense is concerned, the Raiders can draft players, sign good players. But I have a question about the defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham. Doesn't have a long track record of a good defense. I know one year with the Giants, he was pretty good in 2020, I believe it was. Doesn't have a long history of, of fielding stout defenses. I question if he's the guy to turn that defense around because I look at two guys who we can all agree had a pretty good rookie year in Nate Hobbs, Trayvon Merrick. What happened to those two guys? At times, Merrick looks like a liability in coverage. Nate Hobbs isn't as good as he was last year. I put the numbers in my SportsNot article. You can check that out on SportsNot.com. You can look at the numbers for yourself. Nate Hobbs and Trayvon Merrick both allowing more yards per completion than he did in their rookie year. I believe Trayvon Merrick has already allowed four touchdowns, a 148.8 passer rating and coverage. That's bad. That's John Abram bad. And again, I'm not picking on John Abram, but when you had two guys who looked so promising in their rookie year under Gus Bradley, what happened to them under Patrick Graham? If Patrick Graham can't get the best out of two bright young players, is he really the guy to lead a defense? Is he the guy to change the the unfavorable trend of the Raiders defense just coughing up points to teams all year round. I have questions about that. In these last four weeks, I want to see that defense play a lot better. And if it doesn't, I think Josh McDaniels, who has, you know, questionable play calling tendencies himself, he's got to call Patrick Graham in the office and he has to look at the tape and, and think, is this the defensive coordinator we need for this team? And I think that's right now, that's in question. And I'll just leave you with that. Those are the two big things. The defense, the Raiders have to draft a lot better, sign better players, and they have to reevaluate the defensive coordinator. But Derek Carr also has to pull his weight and get this team over the hump if he's the guy. If they decide that, look, Derek Carr is the guy, he has to be better in the red zone. He has Devontae Adams. Maybe he gets back Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro this year, and they build some, some chemistry in the new system. But with those weapons... His red zone numbers should be up, up, up. It shouldn't be stagnant. Not where it is right now, below 40% completion rate, below 75 passer rating. That's, 
that's just not good enough, not nearly good enough compared to the numbers I, I read out to you for other quarterbacks, rookies, guys you think are washed up, young players, all performing better than Derek Carter red zone. That's just unacceptable for Carr. He is not the only problem, but when it comes to red zone issues, he is definitely part of the problem. Now, with that said, we will see what happens in the last four weeks. I have my eye on the defense. I'll have my eye on Derek Carr when the Raiders get inside the 20. And we'll see if there are any improvements with Waller and Hunter Renfro hopefully back in the lineup. But for now, I just want you guys to stew on that. Again, the article is on SportsNot. Well, I broke it down for you. I broke down the defensive numbers. I broke down my concerns about Patrick Graham as a coordinator. I broke down Derek Carr's numbers in comparison to other quarterbacks in the league and throughout his years. And let's just say it all has to be better. But with that said, I want to thank you all for tuning in with me. Again, wish my co-host Scott Gobranson well. He's under the weather. Should be back soon. Who knows? Maybe you'll get another show with me doing a solo act. Uh, who knows? But we'll find out again. Uh, this game against the Raiders and, and with the Raiders and the Patriots Still a crucial game, even though the Raiders are probably not going to make the playoffs. I had to retire my 10-7 and 7 mathematical tweet. Now it looks like the best thing for them is 9-8. and 8. Again, we'll see. By the way, Raider Nation, I need a favor. I need tangible evidence that I didn't run this podcast into the ground within 25 to 30 minutes without my co-host Scott Gobranson. So please subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your teachers, tell everyone. Subscribe to the Silver and Black Today podcast. We are the number three podcast on the Odyssey Network, so we greatly appreciate your support. Whether you're a car supporter, a car hater, somewhere in the middle, we appreciate you tuning in, and I appreciate you tuning in to me today on my solo act. Thank you very much, and I appreciate you, Radio Nation. Take care.